Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. My name is Chris Poirier. Some of you may know me, some of you may not. My history here is a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything. But the short version of this story is... My wife and I came to Columbus about four years ago to plant a church. We met Pastor Jeff. A few things happened, yada, yada, yada. We planted Two Cities Church, and then we went out and we started our journey. Like a lot of journeys, journeys can be complicated. They can be fraught with peril, and the enemy can come after you. But the good part about this story is we were so dedicated into our community that it just made a lot more sense for us to be able to come back here, to be able to stand tall, continue the work in our community of discipling and providing things where they weren't, but that we can come here and we can help all of us disciple, grow, and challenge one another so that we can actually do the hands and feet part of the gospel. I know it's going to be weird, but I am from the land of the great white north. I'm from Vermont. Part of my joke that I usually tell people is God is apparently trying to get me to the Gulf of Mexico as quickly as possible. It's just taken a little over 10 years to get this far south. I started in Vermont, I moved to Connecticut, I moved to Kentucky, I moved to Virginia, North Carolina, and then here. And not in military service. (laughs) Not when I started anyway. So how did Chris end up here before you today? Well, in the beginning, oh wait, that's what we're going, sorry, that, that is a bad joke and I should apologize for that in advance. But I was educated in Kentucky. My original background was emergency management and counterterrorism, which I know is what all of you expect to hear from your pastor on Sunday morning. Um, I did work for the US government for almost a decade as a contractor and as a civilian. And then God said, I have a different plan. And let me tell you, it's pretty shocking when God tells you that you're not doing the thing when you feel like you're doing the thing. Isn't it interesting that the American culture, what does it teach us? Attain money, attain power, attain rank, right? We want to do those things and we want to do those things as quickly as possible. You can do the good thing while not doing the good thing. We can get distracted by our own culture, we can get distracted by money, we can get distracted by all kinds of things. But it's interesting, and I think we've been talking a lot about it here in Genesis, is God's going to eventually help us self-correct that path, right? How many of people have experienced doing what you think you were supposed to be doing and then finding out that that was probably the worst place that you could be? How many of you took the higher paying job or took the longer hours thinking that that's exactly what I wanted and that ended up being the worst possible thing for you? Yo, I did that more than once, which I'm thankful that God is very gracious and very (laughs) dedicated to his creation because he helps correct us a lot. But the most fascinating piece about all of this is we eventually end up where we're supposed to be. So 15 years ago, I was on a near daily basis either briefing to the White House, the senior staff on the Hill, or to senior executives within the Department of Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. And then all of a sudden, I was going to seminary 
I was managing a comic book store, and then a few years later I moved to Columbus, Georgia. If all of you are royally confused at this point, congratulations, welcome to the journey, and you now have the short version of who the heck this guy is standing before you. And at the very base of all of this, I just want you to understand, God does have a purpose for each and every one of us. It's going to feel weird, and it's going to also feel really confusing at times when you just sit there and go, what exactly am I supposed to be doing here? And truth is, I think Abraham's been on this journey. And I just have to thank Pastor Jeff right off the bat that when he contacted me a little over a month ago to ask if I would preach this weekend, and I was like, cool, we're in Genesis. This can't be too complicated. What section are you going to have me preach on? You gave me, I have to follow circumcision? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Pastor Jeff. Uh, I have some of my family in town because they want to hear me preach and everything, and you gave me circumcision. This is going to be a great weekend because the one thing that everybody wants is to hear their pastor say that word over and over again while illustrating a point. Right? No? Some of you are laughing, which means some of you get it, and some of the rest of you are lying to yourselves. That's okay. But the main point, again, to all this is Abraham gets approached with an absolutely insane proposition. It sounds insane, right? He's going to be asked to circumcise himself at the age of 99 and then every single other male within his camp. It's a bad day when the boss comes out with a knife. But one of the things that I really want us to focus on for this morning will be in Genesis 17 starting in verse 15. But I tell all of you to say, God does this thing where age doesn't mean anything, circumstance doesn't mean anything. He's going to use you where you are in that moment no matter what. And let me tell you, part of the craziest part of my own personal journey is the fact that God's like, yes, I want you to go into ministry, to preach, to be a leader in ministry, but I want you to go and be a military chaplain. And I said, cool story. I'm 31 years old. You want me to do what? And there were two things that were really fun about that, and that's number one, going to seminary at 31 doesn't sound weird, and let me tell you, it's not weird, but you are surrounded, just like if you were to go to military basic training, by people who are 18 years old that have done nothing except the one thing that they've been taught, pastors, kids, military, um, ministry children, woo, lots of words, missionary kids, and they look at anyone that is older than 25 and go, what's the outside world look like? And it's a really weird, fascinating concept. I didn't grow up in the church, and I was like, why are you concerned by these things? So at 31, I raised my right hand, and I also entered into military service. And let me tell you, being a freshly minted second lieutenant at 31 years old and thrown into the deep end of the pool is a really fun experience. Um, I won't tell the whole story, but for any of you that want to hear the full one, two years later I resigned that commission because I wasn't really allowed to talk about Jesus on Sunday. And that's a complication that a lot of our military chaplains go through right now. But God said, I gave you a heart for the military, so I want you to still do something about that. And I'm like, nope, mm -mm. Uh, I'm now 33, I'm not liking where this projection is going. And he goes, I want you to enlist. 
No. <laughs> so I did. And arrived at Fort Jackson with all of my 18 and 19-year-old friends for 13 fun weeks of basic military training where, thank goodness, I was not the oldest person there. There were about six of us that were over the age of 30. But let me tell you that every single night before going to bed, I would pray and I would look up the ceiling and I would go, why am I here? <laughs> why now? And for the love, I am getting way too old for this stuff. But it was some of the best experiences of my life. It gave me a heart for the military members. It's why I'm back here. It's why I look to a lot of you. So seminary at 31, military service at 33, and then God dropped me in Columbus, Georgia to focus on playing video games, tabletop games, and esports with a bunch of kids at age 41 as a form of ministry. God constantly will ask us to do things that seem out of place, out of time, and the only thing he's looking for us to say back is say, I won't. I walked out of basic training as one of the top 10% students. I dropped 80 pounds going in, I dropped another 40 at basic. I was crushing it. Not so much anymore. But if God is in it, anything is possible. And a lot of that is going to come from obedience. So I want to ask you a question as we get started this morning. What does obedience mean to you? What does it mean to be obedient? And this is the part where I stare at all of you and I actually expect an answer. I do interactive services. How many people are awake? People that raise their hand are listening. Got it. But what does obedience mean to you? What does it mean to be obedient? Doing what God calls you to do. I'd say, yes, here I am. Send me. Obedience generally, when we think about it, it is doing whatever we're told to do, right? In the military, we certainly have that construct of we need to do what our command tells us, what those in charge tell us to do. Is it easy to follow things, to follow instructions, to be obedient at times? No. Is it easy to be obedient to God? Well, let's take a short moment and think about where we, how we got here, Right? God literally said, hey, by the way, I have a certain particular set of rules for all the males that are going to call themselves and set themselves aside for those of us that are followers of God, and that is to circumcise if you have not. What is the cost of obedience? Pastor Jeff talked a lot about this last week, and I think it's important. The cost of it, it can be blood. It can be extremely painful. But why are we obedient to God? And that's where we're going to be today. Won't you bow with me? Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be able to open your word. And we just ask that you would fill this place, open our hearts and minds, that we may hear you, Father, that we may see you, and that we may become better because of you. Father, for we know that your word is for teaching and for learning. So, Father, we come before you this morning for just that. And it's in your son's most glorious name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we have been in Genesis for, what, the last seven months? 
might feel that way. Genesis is a long journey, but there's a lot of things here. And I think one thing that's always important when we visit the Word is to actually look at, well, how did we get here? And I know that we're 17 chapters in, but I always like to revisit the basic understandings of what actually the text is and what the text has before us. If you've seen me before or you've heard me say before, I'm a huge fan of apologetics, so I like understanding the academic side, if you will, of how we're here, why we're here. So the book of Genesis, what are the who, what, where, when, whys of Genesis? How did we get here? Well, one of the things that we need to consider is always our authorship. So who wrote this thing? Genesis is all these chapters and all this information that contains narrative, that contains poetry, that contains prophecy. It's one of those books that a lot of scholars stop and look at it and they go, which particular angle do you want me to take with this? Because there's so much here. But it's not a place to get lost. And far as we can tell through history and through everything is that the authorship is generally attributed to Moses. That at the time, Moses would have been about 400 years separate from when the events occurred, but at the time would have been considered one of the most academically sound and true followers of the faith to actually capture all of these stories and to place them. And how Moses would have gotten a lot of that is through the oral tradition of all the people around him from years of years of years of telling these stories over and over and over again. And let me tell you, church, a lot of people are going to use a lot of these things to tell us that our faith is not true. But one of the most fascinating realities about it is that oral tradition is actually one of the most solid forms of passing along things. That one thing we found looking at antiquity over years and years and written things, you heard during AMA I talked about Homer's Iliad and other pieces of antiquity. We still have more copies of even the Old Testament than most other things in antiquity. Moses was highly regarded as understanding a lot of the things that were going on during the times. And one thing that feels really weird to us is it feels weird that 400 years between a historical event and writing about it seems like a long time, right? We, the United States of America hasn't been on the face of this planet that long. But that's considered a really short time period before someone actually can get down to writing it and talking about it. So we're really lucky to be able to have something that is usually only a handful of generations where it's multiple generations separated. But Genesis also is ultimately laid out to show us this process of blessings and curses and ultimately where we came from and why. It's right there in the word. Genesis means origin. It's how we started. It's how we got here. It is the beginning. So we see creation in ancient times and then the, hate, the history of the patriarchs, and we are now in the history of the patriarchs. We're learning about Abraham, his family, how we got here. So Genesis is a significant foundation to a lot of our faith and understanding how we got here, why we got here, and that all of this can be understood. Which is why it's got tons of genealogies in it, and I guess... If I have to choose circumcision and reading a handful of genealogies, I will thank Jeff for the circumcision. Some of those genealogies are hard. But they are important because we know that all those folks existed, and that's kind of where we end up in Genesis 17. In verse 15, we're going to start to see a couple different things. And the main two things that we're going to look at today is a handful of promises, two promises, and then what obedience looks like in the light of promise. 
So the first one right off the bat is we see one of God's promises to Abraham is that him and his wife are going to bear a child. She will become the mother of nations. He is the father of nations, for he's already been given the promise earlier to look at the stars and realize that those are impossible to count and those are going to be all of the families and people and line of Abraham. But let's dive right into the scripture for this morning. So Genesis 17, 15. So God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of the people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So what, what just happened? There's a few things that I want to point out for you that are important from the scripture. And one of those things right off the bat is Abraham's wife Sarai being renamed Sarah. We see renaming happen a lot inside the Bible in terms of context of people that go through significant change and become new people. We see that in Paul. We see that in other places. But one thing that's important because things that happen over and over again in the Scripture are generally things that are drawing attention. Well, things that also happen only once are significant events. There is no other woman in the history of the Bible that receives a renaming from God just Sarah. And her original name of Sarai, which means my princess, just becomes the straight term princess, where it transitions from a my ownership to a standalone individual. Sarah becomes literally the royalty of an entire line. For indeed, many nations will come from her. Another thing that we see in all of this, she becomes the mother of nations. The first promise is given. And what does Abraham do? Abraham does what probably the rest of us would do. He fell on his face for he was hearing directly from God. It's a good hint. You probably, should, especially in the Old Testament, you find out you don't look directly at God. <laughs> um, he is very reverent in the presence of God. He then immediately does the following things. He laughs out loud, uncontrollably, attempts to reason with God. And if you don't see this, that is what's happening. He's laughing because he said, I'm 100, my wife's 90, and we're going to have a kid. <laughs> Go on. And then he's like, um, but she's 90, so that can't possibly be what you want for us, right? You just want, no okay. Um, and then finally he transitions from that laughter to this doesn't really make sense to, but what about the son that I already have? Do we remember how we got here with the son that he already had? Pastor Jeff talked about this a few weeks ago, but basically what happened is they knew they were supposed to have a child and Sarah and Abraham were like, this isn't, mm, even back then we want things to be immediate. And so they worked it out so that he could try to have a child with their servant. And they did. They had Ishmael. But that is not what God had intended. 
Abraham knows this at this point. So as he is unpacking the reality of the promise that has been made to him, he realizes that Ishmael may not be part of that future. And if you don't see this, this is one thing that's very important in this scripture is, please give something for my child to do. So we continue into verse 19. We begin the second promise where we see the promise of Isaac and Ishmael. God isn't going to leave Abraham hanging. He's going to continue the story and tell us exactly what is going to happen. So starting in verse 19, the scripture continues and it said, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. I'm going to stop here really quickly because how many of you are familiar if you ever see this in scripture? If you see a yes, no answer and then a comma in the word but, it seems weird. That's actually really important. Especially when you pull apart the Hebrew, here you find out that whenever God does this, he's saying, yes, seriously, this is going to happen. So if you ever have heard the comment of, but God, anytime you see that comma in the word but, it means God's about to do something actually fairly amazing. And this is another way of also just seeing that God is just stamping up and down on this saying, this right here. So he says, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. Stop again. Why is Isaac important? Does anyone know what the word Isaac means? It means laughter. For all of you that are not positive God has a sense of humor, I present to you Abraham and Isaac. For he literally fell on his face laughing and said, that is not possible, and God said, I got you, you're going to have a son, I'm going to name him Laughter, you're going to name him Laughter. And he moves on. And <laughs> I think it's so amazing just understanding the context that it feels like God has the same sense of humor we do today, and this was thousands of years ago. But God literally laughed and said, say I won't. And he goes on and he says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant will be established with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So there's a few things that are important here as well, and that is God was obviously directly in front of Abraham having this conversation. That last piece of scripture actually talks about ascension, which means it was a visible ascension. So this is important enough for God to be able to tell Abraham face to face the concept of what is happening, what is to come. The promises he makes to him and his wife is the establishment of the covenant with his son Isaac, from which a line of truly amazing people will come from. But in the same action, God gives us a moment of grace, and he turns to Abraham, Sarah, and Ishmael and says, even though this was not my plan, I will bless him. 
I will allow them to continue to grow, to in fact be the leader of 12 significant nations. Where God literally, given his history at this point, could have wiped Ishmael off the face of the planet, God instead chose grace. I think we miss grace a lot early in the Old Testament because we are used to an Old Testament that is full of war, bloodshed. But God is the same then, now, and to come. And this is one significant act of grace. He's given purpose, but at the same time is given a very different path. For you saw right in the text, he didn't say that both of them were under covenant, did he? He said only Isaac. So he assured a concerned mother and father about their child, but also very explicitly set Isaac aside. All of this language that is just glued together in these first two promises just drips in the royal godhood of God declaring promise into his people. God's not just saying this may happen, this, this could happen. He's saying this will happen. So what's the response? Jeff talked a lot about it last week, so we're going to continue it because it's the primary theme that goes through those sections into this section, and that is one of immediate obedience. So what does the scripture tell us occurs? So continuing in verse 23, we see on that very day, Abraham went from laughing, begging, reasoning. He's almost going through the stages of guilt being told he's finally going to be given the child that God has promised him for most of his life. To being reassured by God, to being told exactly what is going to happen with his two sons. Abraham doesn't blink. He doesn't go, I'm going to sleep on it. He doesn't say, I'm going to talk to my wife about it. He says, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or brought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Even knowing that when he stepped outside of his tent that evening with a knife, literally looking every male in the eye and telling them what God had told him, Abraham did so immediately and following God's instructions to the letter. But some of the things that we should see here that are really, really important is that Abraham went first. He didn't take God's instruction and say, everybody line up and then do it last. He knew that one of the most important things of leadership and also just people trusting in you is you got to do the hard thing first. Can any of us even begin to fathom what that evening was like? The choice that he made, and also apparently didn't think very much about it, just went to obedience. 
How many of you are lining up to do that? Right when God steps in front of you and gives you a tough choice. Everybody? No? Some of y'all heading for the door? Makes you think, right? But Abraham probably had a good understanding of why. And I think that's kind of where we end up for today and kind of to the point of, so you say, Pastor Chris, so what? That's great. You just said the word circumcised way too many times in a single 30-minute period. We've made some obscure references to some Hebrew language in a book that is thousands of years old about some of these things that God has promised. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean at the end of the day? What does that actually do for us as Christians and followers of Christ? Well, I think it means we need to actually look at what happened. What did God actually promise here? Abraham had spent so many years with his wife Suffering, traveling, being denied, being abused, trying to figure out his own crazy family. Does this sound familiar? Do any of us go through this? We've all got a crazy cousin that we probably got to go and make sure that they don't get annihilated. Maybe not, but that's part of Abraham's story. But Abraham and Sarah were finally, like God literally said, going to do the thing. You've been waiting. You've been focused. You're going to have a child, and that child is literally going to begin this line that will ultimately get us to the one place that God had started figuring out, probably already knew, the moment that Adam and Eve took of the fruit and sin was introduced to our life. And from that moment forward, God was working painstakingly to get us to a point where we all can be reconciled back to that point where we can be with him. This isn't God just promising someone a child. This is God promising all of humanity ultimately a salvation that will come many, many years later. For Isaac was placed in God's covenant. He who laughs is the beginning of a line that will mean everything to us and everything to him. As mentioned earlier, we also know that God's grace is abundant for he didn't just destroy Ishmael. And knowing everything that we do about God, especially given this particular part of our history, there's nothing holding God back from destroying that child. For our sin, our distraction, Abraham and Sarah tried to rush God on their timetable to solve the problem. But God gave grace. And so what do we make of these promises? What does that mean for us today? Well, these promises, as stated, are this long, incredible journey that we're going to end up someplace called the cross. Abraham has been made promises of nations, and we are seeing the first part of fulfillment. Can you imagine the gift that that could be? A lot of God's prophets and leaders did not necessarily get to see the fulfillment of the thing that they were in a long process of. Abraham actually gets to see eye to eye at least the beginning of a promise and a fulfillment. 
But ultimately, even all the way back here, as stated, we see the beginning of God working to bring us all back, to bring us all back to the point of the cross, to see that we can be reconciled to him and that we can stand before God and he can see his creation. It may seem weird, but ultimately at the end of the day, all of these pieces are actually about grace. Did God have to do any of this? Did he have to give us a pathway to actually reconcile ourselves back? A lot of other world religions will tell you the answer to that is no. Because most of those other religions aren't about reconciling. They're about doing everything you possibly can so you might possibly earn the right to stand before your deity again. God instead goes on a jury journey of helping reconcile us back so that we can be once again side by side with our creator. And that only comes through one pathway. Want to guess where that leaves us? As we wrap up today, where that leaves us is obedience. That's what you all wanted this morning, right? Was to get up and the feel-good sermon about Abraham literally circumcising a thousand of his men in obedience and then the pastor standing before you and saying, the point is obedience. Just me? I would have to say the good news for us is our call to obedience is, the is just recognizing who Jesus Christ is and what he has truly done for us. God is going to make challenging requests of each and every single one of us. If you don't doubt that, you might be in a lucky position. But how many of you in becoming Christians had life just so much easier? All of the problems got lifted, all the challenges got lifted away, and everything's perfectly great. How many of you wake up every day and struggle? How many of you wake up every day and you're like, why, why? I don't understand why I have to work 12 hours a day and make no money. I don't understand why I'm called where I am right now. This is hard. Well, I want you all to know some good news. You're not alone. The truth of the matter is, is every single one of us that profess Christ struggle each and every single day. And when people look at you and say, we're supposed to be happy and that things aren't complicated, hey, we certainly serve a God that we should be happy. But the circumstances of the world are going to constantly remind us that this place has fallen and that it is broken and that means that being a Christian day to day and trying to be light in that darkness is a struggle. Anyone that has told you otherwise has lied to you. I constantly tell folks that if it's all about the promises and getting everything perfect, just go read any letter that Paul has written or Paul's individual story himself and then ask me if you think being called a Christian is easy. Obedience will always bring pain, vulnerability, and ultimately faith. We stand strong each and every single day because we understand the reward and the promise that God has made before us. 
and what are those rewards and what are those promises that ultimately we know that God is good, we know that he is full of grace and that he had a plan. There's plenty of world religions that will tell you that we have a plan, but that plan doesn't go anywhere or that plan doesn't ultimately end up at the feet of a benevolent God. It ends up at the feet of someone that then gets to continue to judge you into never being good enough. Unfortunately for us, our God does see that same thing at him on the day of judgment, someone that is not worthy. But unlike all those other religions, there is one thing that separates us from all, and that is ultimately Jesus Christ. For the promises that were made all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, we ultimately end up with Jesus walking amongst us living a perfect life and then sacrificing himself on the cross so that we can be seen as righteous in the eyes of the Father. And what did any of us do for that? Did we do anything to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to be perfect enough? I stand before you a broken man every single time that I open the Bible, every single time that I open my mouth, and every single time that I take a step every day. And I'm telling you that we are all in good company because all of us are going on that struggle together that call Christ for who he truly is. So whenever you see God's promises throughout the Bible, you need to remember that he has a purpose. He is driving us in one direction and one direction only. And that's ultimately to the feet of the cross. Genesis, through every single book of the Bible, we ultimately will end up back in a position where God always had a plan. But it's going to feel like an absolutely chaotic journey on the way that has lots of problems, roadblocks, and complications along the way. And whenever you're feeling really bad about it, just remember that literally one of the fathers of the faith and the mother of nations stood before God and laughed at him when he said, you are going to have a child at 190 years old. And then they did. Life is hard. I don't think any of us would ever disagree with that. But one of the most amazing things about our God is that given any type of circumstance, that anything is possible. And he gives us people to go on a journey with. So as we look to the rest of this week, I just want us to consider a few things for what we can do next. So first of all, I want us to truly believe that I can surrender everything to the glory of God and to the faith of King Jesus. What's that mean? It means we, the only way that we reconcile ourselves is through Jesus and to the cross. So if you're still on this journey and trying to figure it out, then Pastor Chris gave you a bunch of reasons today that probably sound really complicated and everything that, why do I want to do the multiple circumcision thing and all that? Well, the good news is that the thing that God places before us is trust and faith in Jesus Christ is 
our Lord and Savior, that he did come to this earth and that he did sacrifice himself so that ultimately the pain of sin could be washed clean and that we could be reconciled back to the king. The second thing I want us to really focus on is that this week I will seek to understand and grow in God's promises and purposes for my life. This is Chris's good news for you today. It doesn't mean that God's calling all of us to an Abrahamic moment of circumcising ourselves at 40, etc., or above. But we are being called to truly understand who God is, to understand his promises made to each and every one of us and what the purposes are in our lives. We get this through discipleship. We get this through our life groups. We get this through growing in our faith with one another that, as I've alluded to, we are in this together. We are on a journey together, which means we should constantly be seeking to understand his word, what it means, and how it can be applied to our lives. And then finally, we have the option to be able to actually impact our community. So I will live out obedience in my actions and my words this week. A lot of people have a tendency to run their mouths to say the right words, but do we do the right things on top of that? Actions can be louder than words. The pen is mighty as the sword. Both sides are actually equally important in the realities of who we are as Christians and followers of Christ. What obedience may look like for each and every one of us is going to be different, but one of the things that's so important is that we are obedient to what and who Jesus has called us to as Christians. So that means we are constantly seeking to disciple one another and to tell others of our faith. One of the big things here at Two Cities Church is that we actually go and we pierce the darkness by going out from this place on Sunday and actually being the people that God has called us to be the other six and a half days a week. It's not just about Sunday, fam. If it is, I'll punch your ticket on the way out and maybe you'll get a free coffee in a few weeks. Truth is, you probably won't. I'd much rather we go out into the world and wear our heart on our sleeve a little bit and just be honest with our community and ourselves with who we are and who we've been called to be. Because if we're going to be light in a dark place, it doesn't mean that we can just go out there and be silent. That's why this is an issue of action and words. So I just want to challenge you this week, get together with your life groups, talk about how are you serving your community? It can be something as easy as volunteering at a soup kitchen to finding the right place to be able to just volunteer. I run now two nonprofits. One is for video games and tabletop games, so kids just have a place to play, and another is that kids have a place to play street hockey. And if you're really confused why a geek just said video games and something physical side by side, hi, my name's Chris. We can talk later. But there are ways for us to engage our community, and I just give those as examples because find something that you truly enjoy and go out there and share the love of Jesus wherever you go doing those things. I don't have to teach you a class about that because you already enjoy something. And if you're sitting here, I hope that most of you also have a basic understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus is to you, which means those are the only two things you need to be impactful in your community. So go do it. 
Like I said, we can sit here all Sunday, open the word, and it is valuable, but if we don't do anything beyond those doors, we're just sitting still. So let's be obedient. Let's see that much has been given before us, and truly Jesus gave everything for us so that we can go out there and do our all. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.